Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. So we come to unpack our passages this morning as we begin our Advent journey. And we find two passages where the, the, the circumstances are incredibly similar, but the, the outcomes are very, very different. You know, on the one hand, we have the, the call of, of Matthew and how he responds to that prompt to, to follow Jesus. He understands what it means uh, to follow Jesus, and he responds well. And on the other hand, we have the person who's referred to as the, the, the young rich man or the, the young rich ruler, uh, depending on your, your translation. And he's asked the exact same question, what does it mean to, uh, you know, to have eternal life, and what do you need to do to be able to attain that? And part of that is following Jesus, and he his response is very different to, to Matthew's. But let's turn to, to chapter 9 first and we'll look at the call of Matthew. Here we find Jesus is walking along. Seems to do quite a bit of that, just walking around. And as he's walking along, he, he sees Matthew sitting at his tax booth. And all it takes is two words. Two words. Follow me. All it takes is these two words. Because when we read the next sentence, it says, and he got up and followed him. That was all it took. Unbelievable. Two words. Matthew responds immediately. Now, we know, or as we've seen over uh, the last couple of weeks, and as we've thought about um, the persecuted church and various other things, you know, following Jesus is a radical act. It's a radical act here, but it's a radical act for so many in our world. You know, even although Jesus is the savior of the world and it should be the most natural thing in the world uh, to want to talk about him, to want to worship him, uh, want to share the good news of him, the way our world has gone, it's unfortunately not a natural thing. And it's not natural for people to just immediately turn to follow Jesus where there's just two words, follow me. You know, for a lot of people, it's not just a radical act, it's a very dangerous one. You know, it might come up against severe judgment and persecution and oppression. But it's interesting that both our passages tend to reflect and echo where our world is at. Because we have this call of Matthew this morning, which is amazing that it only took these two words um, and Matthew gets up and he, and he does it. But the th interesting thing is that Matthew is sitting at a tax booth. Now, as a tax collector, Matthew um, was not someone who would have been looked upon favorably by his own people. The Romans would have loved him. But his own people probably didn't like him very much. You know, tax collectors that were appointed by Rome 
um, were known for skimming just a little bit of money uh, off the tax that the people were already paying as tribute to the Roman Empire. So it's understandable that, that he was not looked upon favorably by his own people. But the people around there were probably thinking, what's Jesus doing? Is he crazy? Why is he going and speaking to this guy? He's choosing someone that we think is unworthy of being able to follow Jesus. You know, if Jesus is who he says he is, then why is he going after tax collectors, someone who's unworthy of such an honor of being one of Jesus' disciples? But how wonderful is it that Jesus looks past the, the judgment that comes from our world at times, looks past our imperfections, the flaws that we all have. I'm happy to admit that I've got flaws. I'm so happy that Jesus looks past those and welcomes, welcomes us in. So having secured Matthew as a disciple, Jesus then goes and has dinner with him. Another thing that Jesus liked to do was to sit down and have, have a meal. And in verse 10, we read, As he sat at the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. So Matthew's gathered his tax-collecting friends around, and they are all lumped together as the sinners who are looked upon unfavorably by the people. And here's Jesus having dinner with them. And of course, the Pharisees are sort of hanging on the fringes as they do, uh, following Jesus' every move. And in verse 11, it says, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees are not happy with how he is challenging the the, the, the societal norm of what is going on. Why are you associating yourself with these people? How dare you sit down and eat with them? But it's interesting that they didn't go to Jesus first. You know, they didn't go and challenge him first. They went straight to his disciples, start whispering in their ear, trying to put the seeds of doubt into them. And how often do we see that too? Where it's not direct, it's just words to other people to try and sully someone's name. But the thing is, Jesus overhears them because they probably spoke loud enough that he would hear it. And his response is brilliant. And he says in verses 12 and 13, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but it's those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous. I have, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. He says it's not those who are well that, that need a doctor. It's those who are ill that need a doctor. Jesus is effectively saying, you know, I've come to a world that is sick and people that, that, are, that are ill. They're falling short of God's plan. That's what sin is. They need to be guided back to the right ways of doing things, to be convicted of their wrongdoing. And Jesus was here to guide them towards that, that they would be able to achieve what God had originally planned for them, and that eternal life would be opened up to them. 
Jesus says, go and learn what this means. Again, challenging the Pharisees. It's in the scripture. And he's saying, you need to go away and learn this stuff. These people are meant to be the, the Mecca. And they probably went to New College in Edinburgh. That's where all the people go that are... I'm only joking. That's <laughs> <laughs> where all the best people went, but anyway... But it's clear that they don't understand where Jesus is going with this stuff. They clearly don't understand that, that everyone has fallen short and that God is trying to bring humanity back into that right relationship with them. You know, Jesus is saying that, you know, I can't do anything with someone who thinks they've got it all together. I can't do anything with those people. If they think they don't need a savior, then they're not going to accept me. I can't do anything with that. But those who understand that there's, there's, there's a, a, a hole in their life, something that needs plugged. I've spoke about it before, the God-shaped hole in our heart. But those people who understand that, I can do something with. They're the one who, who, who will get this stuff and will come and follow me. You need to humble ourselves and recognize that we need him. And clearly Matthew understood that. He was convicted straight away. He obviously was on a journey and kind of knew that, that what he was doing was wrong. And then it was an opportunity to turn. He drops everything to follow Jesus. And it's not a small decision either. You know, he would have been pretty wealthy. He would have been quite affluent. He's not a fisherman. He's a tax collector. Certainly... Uh, would have been living a life of affluence, albeit through uh, ill-gotten ways, but he would have had that money, but he drops all of that to go and follow this rabbi, this teacher, to go for a walk, this ministry journey that they're not really sure how it's going to go or what it's going to look like. But he was willing to give all of that up to say, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. I will follow you. And that leads us perfectly into our second passage in chapter 19. Because we have a very different response from the young rich man. He too is obviously incredibly well off, affluent. We're not told how he got his wealth. It's unlikely that he got it the same way as Matthew did, or else it would have been highlighted here. But he is affluent and lived a, a life of, of luxury. And he's looking to find out what good deed he needs to do to be able to achieve eternal life. And Jesus responds to him in verse 17. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus is reminding him that there is only one that is good, and it's him. It's him. The one who walked amongst us with no sin. Emmanuel, God with us. And he says, and you should probably keep the commandments too. All of them. Not just in part, but all of them. But the young rich man looks for clarity. He says, well, which one? Which ones? And Jesus 
rhymes them off. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. You need to honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I can almost imagine the, the young rich man is getting puffed up by this point. He is thinking, well, I've done, I do all that stuff. And that's exactly what he says to Jesus. Well, I do all that stuff. What else? What do I lack? The thing is, he was onto a winner by doing the things he was doing. But he had to go and ask Jesus another question. If there's one thing that I've learned in my life, don't ask Jesus a question that you don't want the answer to. Believe me. If you ask a question of, of Jesus and you do not want to know the answer, don't ask it. Because there's a good chance that you will get an answer that, you, that will change your life and it will take you out of your comfort zone. And you go on a journey with him. And it takes a while to, to be okay with it. But here's this young rich man who asks another question. What else should I do? Jesus turns around and he recognizes that this young rich man, there is one thing that's stopping him. Because he may well have been able to do all of these good things that he was doing by keeping the commandments. But there was one thing that was getting in the way. He lived this life of affluence and that within itself was not the problem. You know, I know that there's a lot of people that like to have a go at people who are affluent, but that's not the problem. The problem was that while he found it easier to be able to follow through on all of the commandments because he didn't have the issues of needing to work and to feed his family, this was all done for him. There was other issues at play. Jesus says, if you wish to be perfect, this is in verse 21, Go, sell your possessions, give money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And that must have been a real hammer blow for that young man. Because we read in verse 22 that he went away grieving, for he had many possessions, and that was the issue. Not that he was affluent, but that he was unwilling to give it up and place too much stock into it. There was no space, there was no room in this young man's heart for God. He had filled it up with material things. He was very self-reliant. He was unwilling to humble himself. He couldn't fully rely on Jesus. He wasn't ready to fully commit to following him. His heart was full and there was no room for Jesus. So he goes away and we don't know what happened to him. We have no idea, you know, did he eventually sell off his possessions? I hope so. I hope so. Did he eventually turn and start following Jesus? Even more, I hope so. But we don't know. He has two very, very different situations. Two different men. One was willing to follow immediately. The other was finding it a struggle. Matthew became this fully devoted follower of Jesus. He was able to make room in his heart and get rid of the things that were, that were causing him to stumble. 
He followed Jesus not out of a, a sense of carrying out duties or commandments, but more of a heart thing. He knew that Jesus was God. But on the other hand, the young rich man, he was also challenged to follow Jesus, but he just couldn't do it. He wasn't ready. You know, his love of material things, being in control, unwilling to humble himself to God's prompting. There was just no room in his life to become a devoted follower of Jesus. And the thing is, the reason that I chose these readings to kick off our Advent sermon series, which I've called Make Room, is that when we talk about Advent or we think about Christmas, this is meant to be a time of preparation, a time of active waiting, that we don't just sit uh, idly by, but we're actually working on an opportunity to reflect on the, the amazing thing that happens that we celebrate on Christmas Day, that God would want to come into our world. And in that active waiting and this preparation, it's also another opportunity for us to recommit ourselves to our Lord Jesus, to assess where we are in life. You know, we're all aware that at this time of year, um, it starts to just speed by. You know, I'm already thinking that we're almost uh, at December and Christmas will come around super quick. But there are so many things that look to try and pull on our time and on our resources. Um, our focus can be taken away from, from Jesus and onto so many other things that we've spoken about earlier this morning. You know, we might start to fill up our life with a whole bunch of stuff, and that stuff isn't necessarily bad within itself, um, but when it takes our, our focus away from, from, from Jesus, that's when the issue starts to arise. You know, we can fail to make room for, for Jesus in our Advent. It might be that we look to fill up our, our time with a lot of work, and I know that that'll be a a struggle for me because there's so many things that you would want to do and be involved in, but there are only so many hours in a day, and there's sometimes you need to be able to say no, and you need to do other th things like focus on Jesus rather than focusing on work. Might be that there are lots of social events that we want to be involved in, you know, a lot of cool things that are going to be happening in the run up to Christmas and parties and nights out and various trips to theater or uh, musical evenings and things like that. So many things that get in the way and we want to do it all. It's just not enough time. It might be that we get caught up in looking to buy gifts for people, get that perfect gift for them. Um, for those that, that love shopping, they love that time of year. For those of us that don't, we wish we were at home. But our, and it's not that getting gifts for people is bad. You know, it's nice to, to get, be able to give gifts. I'm not saying that. I don't want, I'm, I'm not the Grinch, okay? I'm, I'm just, but, but not that our focus would be heavily on that as opposed to focusing on Jesus. It might be that we, and this is where I do fall down big time, um, when it comes to the food at Christmas, we might 
focus too heavily on what we need to buy. Get frustrated in the supermarket when you can't get the apple pies that you were looking for. I'm not telling you what supermarket it is, but get it sorted. Anyway, I don't know about you, but sometimes I do end up buying far too much food for Christmas. You know, so much that I forget that it's just Elizabeth and I. Got enough to feed an army most Christmases. Just in case, you know, we might need that one other thing, you know, just in case the shops are closed, you know, for like five hours or something like that at Christmas time. But, you know, who knows? But we might start to worry about maybe we are hosting more people and maybe it's the, the cleaning of the house, getting it absolutely perfect. You know, for 364 days in the year, it's a, it's a bomb site. But for that one day, I'm not passing any judgment, but it's a bomb site. But for that one day, everything is flung in cupboards. There is nothing on the floors. Everything is perfect. Am I right or am I wrong? Thank you. Somebody, somebody is willing to admit to it. There you go. For that one day, it is perfect. And you can be the, the best host in the world because you have your perfect house. But we might get stressed out about that, trying to make that perfect Christmas. You know, I spoke earlier about the, you know, that hallmark uh, Christmas. Or it might be that we look on social media and we see all of these perfect lives being lived out uh, on social media. And just in case you need to hear this this morning, those people are struggling too. Social media doesn't always tell us the truth. Just in case you need to hear that. But we might start focusing on all of that stuff and it takes our eyes away from, from Jesus during Advent. And only we know what that is. You know, for each of us, it will be different things. Um, things that distract us and take us away from focusing on Jesus. Where we're allowing the, the, the shininess of uh, the secular aspect of Christmas uh, to come in and creep in and sometimes overtake that it just is difficult for us to be able to make room for Jesus. So what I'm really getting at this morning is that we should use this Advent as an opportunity to learn and practice saying no more often, that we might be freed up and that there would be room made for us to say yes to following Jesus with all our hearts. It's time for us to make room for him. Not just the Advent, but this is an opportunity for us to prepare ourselves for moving into 2023, that Jesus would be our prime focus. But we start by making that commitment as we start our Advent journey, that we would look to make room for our Lord Jesus. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for everything that you, you do for us. And we thank you that you call us to follow you. And we're sorry for all the, the times that we allow other things to bleed into our, our hearts and in our lives that take our focus away from you. 
And as we begin this Advent journey, we do pray that it would be an opportunity for us to prepare ourselves, that we might be able to say with full confidence a resounding yes when you call us to follow you into different places. And as we enter into that new year, that we would be known as a church who are fully devoted followers of Jesus and one that welcomes others in that they might too want to be participants in your mission to the world. So Lord Jesus, would you hear our prayer for we offer it in your powerful and mighty name. Amen.